Welcome to Truth Pod, the podcast that proclaims the truth of God's Word without shame or apprehension, where the Bible is the last word on any subject. I'm Russell, your host. Welcome back to Truth Pod. Happy Easter, the day we celebrate our Lord's resurrection from the dead. He was raised, and we live because of him. He is real. He's alive forevermore. So I hope you're enjoying this day that we celebrate our Lord's resurrection. I hope you're enjoying it, and I hope you're worshiping Jesus on this day and giving him the praise that he so richly deserves. Thank you for downloading this podcast. I hope you find a blessing and encouragement to your spiritual growth within it. Um, someone grabbed me at church a few weeks ago. Um, actually, you know, it was a while back. Uh, and they told me, they took my podcast with them when they went hiking. And the person said that it said so many nice things to me about my podcast. And I really appreciated hearing that. I told the person that I don't get a lot of feedback uh, from people. So it was encouraging, you know, to have this feedback. We need others. I mean, that's just simply the way it is. I mean, we need to be encouraged by one another. And, and the Bible bears that out. Um it, it's good to encourage one another. It blesses other people. Um, you know, it, that's just not a sentimental statement either. It, it's true. Our kind words go a long way in helping people on their journey with Christ. So find someone, even if you have to go out of your way, and say something kind to them. Your spouse, your child, a co-worker, your words make a difference. All right, if you can, join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your mercy and your blessings. I thank you for what you do in our lives. I thank you for the price, that awful price that Jesus paid at Calvary so that I could have free access to you, so that I can boldly, boldly come before the throne of grace and find help in the time of need. Thank you, Father, for those who listen to Truth Pod. I, I pray your blessings be upon them. I pray that your word stirs them, their hearts, and that you do a work in their lives, Lord, that brings you glory. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' holy name, amen. We are on the road to Golgotha. This is my eighth study in this series. So far, we, we have had highs and lows, but all of those were emotional or spiritual. Now we enter the suffering stage of our Lord's journey on the road to Golgotha. Last week, we came with Jesus and his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane. We talked about the suffering he endured there from the assault of the enemy. This was an eternal struggle taking place in this garden. Remember, his sweat was as great drops of blood. You and I, we've not done that. You know, I mean, I do well to pray long enough, you know, to uh, pray through, okay? And many don't even know what that means. Pray through, what are you talking about? But it's praying to the point where you feel released from your burdens, 
and from uh, the weight that you carry, um, it, it's praying through to where you've actually touched heaven. And I could say, I don't do that every time I pray. I don't pray like that every time I, I kneel before the Lord or go before the Lord. Yet, I have access to do so. I have access to do so because of this great grace that has been given me and been given you. And uh, it says here that Jesus had prayed until his sweat had, became, had become as great drops of blood. And he came through it victoriously, unlike Adam and Eve who fell victims to the serpent's temptation. Had he failed, had he failed here, he would not have made it to Golgotha. And you and I would still be lost in our sins. We continue with Jesus and his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane to see what happens next on the road to Golgotha. Let's look at some scripture. Matthew 26, 46 through 50 in the English Standard says, Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. Betrayal defined. I want to give a de definition of it. Betrayal is a breaking or violation of a presumptive contract, trust, or confidence that produces moral and psychological conflict within a relationship amongst individuals, between organizations or, or individuals. Now, some of you, I don't have to tell you what betrayal is. You know what it is. You know what betrayal is. I was just talking with a man, and um, I'm not going to give any any uh, more information than that about who he was, but I was just talking with him, and um, and I asked him how he's doing, and, and he told me, flat out told me, he was just went through a divorce, and it's like, wow, I, I, I didn't even know it, hadn't heard a word about it or anything. And he went on to share with me how that him, his wife had told him that, you know, they wanted to keep everything amicable and, uh, you know, and, and neither one of them was going to see anyone and stuff and all of this. Okay. And as he's talking with me, he, he goes on to tell me that he said, uh, I really, you know, was hoping things would turn around. He says, I, I decided to take all the debt. I, you know, he said, I, I, you know, and he went on to all the things that he had done, he either gave up or decided to take on himself. And then he said, and then to come to find out after we're divorced, she said, oh, by the way, I'm seeing so-and-so. And he was like, whoa, 
He said, I, I couldn't believe it. He, he, it was a friend of her family's and uh, someone that he knew and, and stuff. And this had been going on for a while, but she had kept that hid throughout the divorce so that, you know, he would let her off. And uh, he felt betrayed. So betrayal is not a, you know, uh, not a new thing. I mean, it's happened, of course, for generations. It's been going on, I guess, ever since um, Cain betrayed Abel and killed him. Um, it's a, it's an evil thing. I mean, it, you know, at what this, this man had went through with his wife. And now I'm not, you know, I'm not saying it hap don't happen both ways. It happens both ways. Men, women, one betraying the other. It happens both ways. And, uh, you know, there is another type of betrayal that I, I was reluctant to mention, but the betrayal of a mother, you know, of a mother killing her baby in her womb because she wants her freedom, because she wants uh, to live the party lifestyle, because she's too busy, because, you know, she has a job, because it's just not the right time, because all of these things, that mother would betray that little baby. Sometimes they're coerced into doing so by the man they supposedly love, by their husband, whomever it may be. But the baby is the one who is betrayed. So I really, I really don't have to give a definition about what betrayal means. And believe me, it is that messy and mean and evil and harsh and hard when it takes place and damaging and hurtful and and when it and when it takes place as i think i've said this before or i might say it in a little bit uh it is a surprise attack it is usually something that comes as a surprise anyway let's go on how much how much do you have to hate a person to betray them granted it's not always about hate. Sometimes it's about gaining an advantage. I do not think that, G that Judas hated Jesus. So maybe it was the latter. Maybe he thought he could him improve his life station in life. Maybe he thought he could improve his lifestyle. You know, um, a lot of times, though, I, I view it as something that's a hateful act. You know, a lot of times I, I, when I when I witness it or when I've watched it on a, a documentary or a docudrama or whatever that's talking about such things, and, you know, it is put forth as a, a hateful thing. Many times, though, it's just to shift their position in life and try to get ahead or try to change, you know, where they're at from one situation to another. There's no way to determine for sure what was in the mind of Judas when he did this. He may not have completely understood it himself. Why he was willing to surrender himself to Satan and to betray the Son of God. Remember when Jesus announced to his disciples that one of them was going to betray him? I mentioned that at that time, it was not too late for Judas.
because it was all in the planning stages. You know, when Jesus had told him, you know, had made an announcement, you know, one of you is going to betray him. At that moment, Judas could have changed his mind and said, this is a bad thing. Some people do. Some people, you know, uh, in, in the process of starting to do something that's really bad, all of a sudden wakes up and said, oh, man, this is a bad thing. I'm going to get out of this as quick as possible. And they get out. But Judas, he didn't do that. But now we see from the scriptures, we've read that all the planning is put into action. And Judas does something that none of the disciples thought he would ever do. I don't think Judas hated Jesus, but there was a group of people who did. The scribes and the Pharisees. Matthew 26, 14 through 16 in the English Standard Version says this, Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Up until this time, the scribes and the Pharisees dogged Jesus, watching his every move. Matthew 16, 1 through 4, and Matthew 19, 3 through 9. When they saw that their words were not able to stop Jesus or the crowd following him, they grew more and more frustrated, so they turned to violence. Matthew 26, 3 through 5 says this in the English Standard Version. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth. Notice that word, by stealth, and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Judas makes them an offer they cannot refuse. Hey, I know you guys hate Jesus. How much will you give me to take you to his favorite getaway spot. Let's talk a little bit about Judas. Judas's name in the Greek version of the Hebrew of, of the Hebrew Judah, which roughly means praise or let God be praised. He didn't live up to his name, did he? However, the origin of Iscariot is not as clear. It is widely held that the Greek uh, Icarates comes from Hebrew Oh boy, can't even pronounce that one. Meaning, man of Kiriath, a city in Palestine. Thus, in this case, a name like Judas Iscariot would be similar to calling someone Bob from Los Angeles or Jenny the Bostonian. So, Judas Iscariot. Judas lived near the beginning of the first century AD. If the speculations about the meaning of Iscariot is true, he would have been from southern Judah which also means he would have, would have been the only one of the 12 disciples from Judea. The rest were from Galilee. Though we don't know for sure where he grew up, he joined Jesus during his three-year ministry, definitively placing him in Israel around 30 AD. Judas arrives with a great crowd armed with swords and clubs, as though Jesus 
were a robber or insurrectionist. John informs us that there were, were possibly temple guards and Roman soldiers in the crowd, John 18 and 3, as well as chief priests and elders or the Sanhedrin. The fact that this band of soldiers and temple guards carried weapons and lanterns showed that Judas did not really understand Jesus. Judas thought they would have to search for him in the garden and fight off his disciples in order to arrest him. Jesus has a question for the crowd. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and the elders who, came, who come out against him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. They, uh, they treated Jesus, you know, like, like he was a common criminal. Um, Judas, of course, um, was leading the band because he had to show them where Jesus' private getaway was. He also um, showed the Pharisees and them a way to get Jesus when he was away from the crowd, so to do it in stealth. They did not want to risk the uproar of the crowd because they had a lot of people there that, that loved Jesus, that loved being with them, that loved hearing Jesus. I want to talk a little bit about the kiss of betrayal. Here's the crowd coming to arrest Jesus. There may be a few faces who look familiar, familiar under the light of torches. When through the crowd slithers one man who comes up to Jesus and starts kissing him. Now this is a strange, a strange happening. Um, his kissing Jesus, but it was a common thing in that day. I mean, it, it would happen in that day, you know, so it wasn't out of place in that day, as it would be, I think, in this day. The most famous kiss in history. Judas, by agreement with the mob members, kisses Jesus to identify him as the one they are seeking. The Eastern kiss was a sign of greeting. Judas adds the words, greetings, Rabbi. Uh, 2649 NIV, which was a traditional East, Eastern greeting. Jesus had a question for Judas. Kind of reminds me of when I did something wrong when I was a kid. My mom or dad asked me, what did you do? It was like a spotlight was put on me. I started squirming, started sweating. I wanted to hide, you know, because something, they knew something was wrong. And so the question came up to me, or came, was posed to me, what did you do? You know, and I knew I was guilty. Otherwise, I wouldn't be sweating. People who aren't guilty don't sweat. I mean, you know, uh, so, uh, I mean, as a little guy, I, you know, I was sweating and, uh, you know, because I knew if I confessed what my, uh, 
consequence would be. Luke 22, 47 through 48, while he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading, it, leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Wow. Wow. Think about that. Could you imagine? His heart had to stop. I mean, briefly for a moment, shock probably went through his whole system as Jesus utters those words, Would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? This symbol that is supposed to tell everyone around us that we are friends, would you use this symbol to betray me? Wow. One writer uh, put it this way, and I, I don't know that I, I don't know how reliable it is, but some he had said that uh, Judas believed that Jesus was able to transform himself into other things and other beings, and uh, therefore he he would kiss him so that he could identify him to the people because he was the only one who could see them see him, or as being part of the twelve, he would be able to recognize him when they couldn't. Again, I'm not sure about that. But Jesus says, what are you doing? Maybe he says that to you and I when we turn our back on him so we can embrace our pet sin. Maybe he says that to us. What are you doing, my child? You know, Maybe he says that to us. Judas, what are you doing? You walked with me daily. You saw firsthand the miracles I did. I even sent you out with the other disciples to heal the sick and raise the dead. I trusted you by letting you carry our money bag. What are you doing, Judas? Do you betray the Son of Man? with a kiss. He uses the kiss as a weapon, not as a sign of affection. In that day, it was customary for disciples to kiss their teacher, but in this case, it was not a mark of submission or respect. The Greek, Greek verbs indicate that Judas kissed Jesus repeatedly. In the culture of the first century Israel, a kiss was not always a romantic expression of love. Rather, a kiss on the cheek was a common greeting, a sign of deep respect, honor, and brotherly love. Luke 7.45, Romans 16.16, 1 Corinthians 16.20, and uh, a few other verses. For a student who had great respect for his teacher, a kiss fell well, within the healthy expression of honor. So it was, you know, it was supposed to be something that's honorable, but yet here he has soiled it. What really stands out in the mode of Judas's betrayal is that Judas used such intimate expression of love and respect to betray Jesus. Judas's actions were hypocritical in the extreme. His actions said, I respect and honor you. 
at the exact time he was betraying Jesus to be murdered. It is tragic to see how Judas cheapened everything he touched. Jesus called him friend. I could have thought of other things to call him. Snake, skunk, jerk, deceiver, liar, scum. But not Jesus. He calls him friend. Friend, comrade, or companion occurs only here and in Matthew 11, 16, and 20, uh, 13, and 22, 12. This is one of the most touching incidences, incidents of Scripture. The Lord did not disown Judas. He could have been forgiven. Think about this. Think about this. This man, Judas, walks up to the master in the, in the dark of night. They're in the Garden of Gethsemane, and, and uh, Jesus had been talking to his heavenly Father and praying, and you know, and his disciples snoozing, and and then here comes a crowd of men into this garden, and and they would know because they'd hear the voices, and they'd see the torches, you know, so the the they would recognize there's a crowd of men coming, and here comes G Judas leading, leading the way in the front, and here he is, and he walks over there, and he kisses Jesus, pointing out, saying, this is him, guys, this is the man, this is the one we're looking for, wow, Jesus says, do what you came to do, I like watching cop shows, Chicago PD, cops, and others, do you know what all criminals have in common? At least the majority of the ones that I've seen on these shows and in, in related incidences and that I've seen on the news, the bad guys are always running away from the law. Okay? This is something I've noticed to be true that of the majority. The bad guys, the guilty ones, are always running from the law. Jesus was not a criminal, but they came as a mob to arrest him as if he were. Jesus did not run. He did not put up a fight. He surrendered to the crowd. Do what you came to do. How could he do it? Because he spent time in prayer with his heavenly father. He didn't run. He didn't fight. He was surrendering to the mob. But he wasn't surrendering to the mob. He was surrendering to his heavenly father. You see, on the outside, we view it as, his, as him surrendering to the mob, and that's what it appeared to be. But in all truth, he was surrendering to the mob. This was part of that cup that his father gave him to drink. These men came with hate in their hearts. They were sent by leaders who hated Jesus. The whole situation looked hopeless. He was headed to Golgotha. But remember this one thing. It doesn't make itself obvious. No one would even believe it if you told them. But this was all God's plan from the very beginning. These men and Judas were just pawns on the chessboard. 
Jesus was doing something amazing. No, the disciples and crowd didn't see it, but he was going to change history. Nothing would ever be the same again. Can you feel that? Nothing would ever be the same again. This is all just starting here as we're talking about it, as we're reading it, and we're reading it, you know, as history. But at this moment that it's taking place in the garden, Jesus is going to change everything by his being willing to submit to his heavenly father and drink the cup that was given him. Don't give up, my friend. Don't lose hope. We're about to face the greatest tragedy in human history as we're reading in this account from the Gospels. But at the same time, we're about to witness the greatest victory in all the ages. Oh, man. You know, I, I get to thinking about that. That's what changed our lives. That's what gives you and I hope. That's why when I look at what's going on in the world and I start getting discouraged, I can turn around and say, look at Calvary. I can look at what was done at Golgotha and remember Jesus changed it all. Jesus changed it all. And what else can take place? What can take place that the Son of God doesn't have control of? He's in control of everything. I find hope here, and so should you. Maybe since he didn't condemn Judas here, he won't condemn me when I fall. Okay, maybe I haven't blown it like Judas, but I blow it. I'm guilty at times of betraying him with my behavior. You see, I know better, but sometimes I act as if I don't. You know, I I talk a good game sometimes. You know what I mean? But when it comes down to the brass tacks, I miss it and I fall on my face. And he don't condemn me, but he offers me his hand to lift me back up. And, and when I say me, I mean you as well. I mean you as well. Child of God, if you've fallen and you've sinned, you've erred against God, you've broken his heart and you know it. You know it. Okay? You've broken his heart and you feel like there's no hope. Oh, there's hope. It's in the form of a cross. And the man who died there is no longer there but alive forevermore and offering forgiveness and grace and mercy for you and I. Oh, for you and I. He's so amazing. He's so wonderful. We owe him. We owe him everything. Everything. I tell you, what an amazing, amazing God we serve. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus for what you did at the cross. Thank you for paying my sin's debt at the cross so that I could be forgiven and I could come into the presence of Almighty God. Thank you, Father, for Easter. <laughs> Jesus is alive forevermore. Alive forevermore. And you know what? He says, because I live, you shall live also. 
Oh, man. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be his holy name. Next week, we will conclude our visit to Gethsemane as we travel with Jesus and his disciples on the road to Golgotha. Let me end this podcast by asking you this question. Do you know Jesus as your personal Savior? If not, you can. He loves you and wants you to be a part of his family. The first thing for you to do is admit you're a sinner and you cannot save yourself. Second, believe that he died for you and ask him to forgive your sins. Third, thank him for saving you and commit to living the rest of your life for him. If you have any questions or prayer requests, just email me at truthpod at yahoo.com.